Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just stand to your feet for a moment, man? Man, the presence of God is here. Thank you, Lord. God, we honor you above anything and everything else. Thank you that we're not stuck in our minds, but we're able to hear and receive everything that you would say. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Father, we honor your word, your written word far above anything else. God, we love to receive a word of prophecy, but we thank you that, Lord, your word, your written word is the thing that leads us and guides us. And God, when we have those words of prophecy that hit our heart, that we go back and we line it up with what your word says. Thank you that we have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in this church. That not only do we have revelation come to us, but we have wisdom to know what to do with the revelation that's been given to us. Thank you, Jesus, that we hear from you. Thank you that we hear from heaven today. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I'm just hearing you clearly that you want me to go ahead and share the word that you laid on my heart. So God, I'm gonna do that. And I thank you that it comes through with, with clarity. That Lord, it comes through with the wisdom of heaven. That God, it's wrapped and packaged in a way that every heart would receive what you have for us today, God. I thank you that this would be a word that takes us from where we're at to where you want us to be. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna prophesy over my own message, which I'm not sure if I've ever done before, but here it goes. The Lord says that what you're getting ready to hear is gonna be a word that is gonna take you in terms of ministering and in terms of relationship and in terms of kingdom business that it's gonna take you to a whole nother level and it's gonna take us to a whole nother level. And I heard the Lord say, not right now, but I heard him say the other day that this is a foundation stone that has to be there to see the things that we wanna see and that God wants to see. So Father, I thank you that this has quickened in our hearts. Thank you that this is the foundation stone. Thank you, Lord, that we don't stay where we're at, but we go to the next level because we're in a, we are in a pattern and a lifestyle of growth. Thank you that we're in a lifestyle of growth. Why don't you say that out of your mouth? Thank you, Jesus, that I am in a lifestyle of growth. I need your understanding. I need your wisdom. I need your knowledge. I need everything that you have to give me in this season that I'm in. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. So I had the Lord, one of the things that he spoke to me at the end of last year, and I was going to take just one Sunday and just tell you everything that the Lord told me at the end of this last year about OCI and about what we have coming up. But I just felt like he said to release it in time and that as he wants me to, I'll just release things that he's revealed. And one of the things that he really struck a chord in my heart concerning is the area of compassion. And I think part of the reason is, is that this is an area where I've needed a lot of help. I've needed encouragement. I've needed instruction. I've needed some temperance in. Um, and I would consider myself a compassionate person, but I'm not as compassionate as what Jesus was. 
And I want to be as compassionate as what Jesus was because I want to have the results that Jesus had. And I want to touch people like Jesus did. And I'm going to take you through some scripture verses here. It's real real plain. It's real simple. Uh, You'd have to work not to understand what I'm getting ready to tell you. It'll It'll be one of the simplest messages probably you've heard. Uh, this year, but it's the beginning of the year, so that's not saying a whole lot. So, but anyways, I'm going to just talk to you about compassion. You could also just call it the flow of love. And, you know, it says in Romans chapter five and verse five, it says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And, you know, the love of God was not poured out in our hearts just for us to feel his love. His love was poured out in our hearts so that we could give the love that God has given to us, that we could give it to other people. And there, when it comes to ministering to other people, and for anybody that would say, well, I just, I'm not sure about ministering to other people. Well, if you're going to stay here, you better get used to it. Because this, we are part of uh, the army of God. And the army gets busy doing, doing the general's business. Amen. And I'm not the general. I'm just the overseer of this church, but Jesus is the true general. He's the one really in charge and he has work for us to do. Amen. And so the idea of love flowing from every believer, it's not just supposed to be for the pastor or for the evangelist or for whoever is up leading or talking or whatever. It's not just for them. It's for you. It's for every believer. Every person should have the compassion of Jesus flowing out of them. If you have received compassion from the Lord, which I guarantee you, you have on some level, then you should be giving it out to other people. And I really believe that this is one of the keys that the Lord has unlocked in my heart for what is necessary to see new levels of the manifest presence of God, of the power of God, and of the supernatural working in our lives. Because see, when you go through and you look at the life of Jesus, which we're going to go and we're going to look at some things here concerning Jesus and his ministry, one of the things that you'll find is that he had compassion. He was moved with compassion. The dictionary definition for compassion means sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. Let me say that again. Compassion, according to the dictionary, is sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. So it's not just seeing that somebody is having distress, but it has, it's when something comes out of you that says, I want to fix and help and do whatever I can to make an adjustment in love in that person's life to help them out of the situation that they're in. And I've found that I've gone through times in my life where I haven't operated in enough compassion. And I have, you know, I have a strong teaching gift that comes out of me. And one of the problems with a lot of teachers is they're usually um, less compassionate because they'll look at a situation and somebody can be totally a broken mess and to see that they're in that broken mess because of a, a lot of dumb decisions that they made. And the teacher part can come out. And for those of you that are, that are teachers or kind of wired that way, you have to be careful with this. The teaching thing will come out and go, well, you know, you should have done da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you should know da-da-da-da-da. Well, that probably is all true. But what the person needs at that moment is to have your arm around them to say that they are loved and cared for and then do whatever is in your ability to help them out of that particular situation. Amen. You know, I heard... Um, a few weeks ago, I was listening to Chris Vallotton, and if, if you don't listen to Chris Vallotton, you should listen to him on occasion. I believe he is a prophet for our day and our time, and specifically for our nation and to the churches as a whole. 
Um, and he said something that was so significant to me. He said, and I'm going to read this so I make sure I don't mess it up. He said, we will never have influence with the people God has called us to unless we first have compassion for them. I have found that so many times, that, and I'm including myself in this, the church people will sit in the church and they'll say, well, those people, they're doing this and that and the other. And how about that church over there? Man, they really have, they've really blown it. Or, you know, I can't believe what our mayor did or just whatever the situation is. And oftentimes we'll sit in a place of throwing stones and we might even be accurate at what we're seeing. But who gives a rip if we're accurate, if we're right, but we don't reach the people that God has called us to. And, I am, and when he said that, it just shot straight through me. That God is not, I, I think he actually, the way he phrased it was that God is not going to give us influence. So either way, we're not going to have influence with the people God has called us to unless we first have compassion on them. I believe that this is really, this should be a prerequisite for anybody doing any ministry of any sorts. And this is something where you have to go and check your own heart and to make sure that you're, you're flowing in compassion, not flowing in judgment, not flowing in, well, I'm right, not flowing in, well, I know what they really need. You know, there are a lot of things that we have to impart, but in order to be able to, to impart and make those deposits uh, into people, you have to first show them love. You have to first show them compassion. People don't understand the Christianese language. They don't get that. You know, you could, you could have someone that's hurt and broken and maybe they're sick and you could go and try and teach them. I know because I've done this. Hey, that by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. Let me show you how to walk in, in healing. They don't have a cotton picking clue what you're talking about. They don't have any idea how to reference anything of what you're saying. But you know what they do understand? You know what every human being understands is if you put your arm around them and say, man, I love you and I am here for you. I will pray for you. You just let me know. You know, those kind of things, that kind of language and that kind of communication, that speaks more to people than anything else. Amen. And I believe with everything in me that this is something that has to be established in us if we're going to reach the masses. And for a lot of people, that every time, whenever I say that, I can see the look on, on some, or I can just feel it in the room sometimes. People are like, okay, reach the masses. I've heard this for the last 20 years in church and it still ain't happened. Well, eventually somebody's going to get it right. One generation is going to get it right. A group of people is going, to get, is going to hit it right. And you can't do it if you're moving backwards in a negative attitude. We have to go back and say, all right, Father, we know your heart. We know your plan. We know what you want. We know the Great Commission. You said go into all the world and make disciples to, to reach everybody, to teach every nation, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons. We know what your word says. Now, God, help us do it. And in doing it, Lord, give us wisdom in how to do it. And one of the ways that we get wisdom is we go and look at the wisest man that ever lived, the greatest minister that ever walked the earth, and that was Jesus. And one of the common threads that you'll see in Jesus' ministry is that he walked in extreme compassion. And when that happened, the compassion opened up the door. It opened up the door for the supernatural. And I believe that the word is full of principles. It's got mysteries, but as the mysteries are revealed, you will find principles that you can operate your life by. And one of those things is, is that the power of God, the anointing of God is not released unless compassion is first there for the person that needs to receive it. And the church has fallen, and I'll include, I'm including myself, I'm preaching to myself today as much as anybody else. And we've fallen into this mode so much of, you know, you can, we can preach these messages of, we're going to see the dead raised, and everyone goes, woo, and we're going to see miracles, woo, and then you minister on, we're going to have compassion, and it's like, is he talking to you over there? I don't know. 
Come on now. This is important. And really, it speaks to the motive that, that is behind what we're doing. A lot of people want to see miracles just to say, I saw a miracle. Big flip. Was the person ministered to or not? Amen. I mean, I'm not undermining miracles. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. I believe in the power of God. I want to see people saved and lives changed. But what's our heart motive for why we're giving out to the person? Is it so that we can walk away and have another notch in our belt and say, oh, I saw another one saved. I saw another one healed. I saw another one set free. Or is it, man, God, set, God so set me up today and I had an opportunity with, with somebody and the compassion and the love of God just flowed and that person's life has been changed forever. What is our motivation and what we're doing? I think it is extremely important that we ask ourselves that question because I've found, and I just feel like I'm just like everybody else, I've found times when my motivation was more about I want to see something great and there's nothing wrong with wanting to see something great. Listen to me now. The Lord has told us that we will do great exploits in his name. There is power, like the song sang that we, we sang earlier. There's power in the name of Jesus. We will see, we have seen, and we will see great things with the name of Jesus. But why do we want to see it? Do we want to see it just to say that we've got great things going on? Or do we want to see it to, to, to see people's lives changed and touched with the compassion and the love of God? It's a really important question that we need to ask ourselves. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, we're going to start in. Matthew 9 and 35, and I just want to go through some really basic things here concerning Jesus and compassion and show you how compassion led to people's needs being met, people's lives being touched. In verse 35, it says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. When it's talking about that he was moved with compassion, and I'm only just going to tell you what the Bible says. Don't shoot the messenger, okay? When it talks about that he was moved with compassion, it makes reference to the bowels. And so if you want to know what it's like to spiritually be moved with compassion, it, there's a parallel to where you are physically moved to run to the bathroom. Have you ever been in one room and then all of a sudden you had to run to the bathroom? Have you ever been there? Am I talking to normal human beings here? He's making a comparison here. He's saying, just like you go, oh, yep, yep, I'll be back in 10 minutes, guys, or whatever the situation is, whatever. Or, hey, we need to pull off at that next rest stop right there. Amy's feeling me because, you know, she's, she talks like this. Whew. This isn't gross. This is Bible. I said don't shoot the messenger, all right? It talks about, if you go back and study, it makes reference to the bowels. Why? Because when it's time to go, you have to go. And when it's talking about compassion, the compassion of God moving you, it's like you can look into somebody's situation and you can't help but to find a way to help them in their distress. Find a way to help them in their, their area where they need healing, where they're hurting, where they're broken. This is something that needs to be, we need, we need a, a resurrection in our hearts of the compassion of God. And I find this, and this is one of the most difficult things that I see in, in ministry is when people will come with their needs and to try to decipher whether to help because you can't help everybody. The church can't help everybody. By the way, we help a lot of people. We find ways to give and to help a lot of people with their bills, with groceries. Those things come up pretty, uh, pretty often and we try to help people. And it's easy to fall into a mode of why are they 
and you fill in the blank. Why aren't they doing and you fill in the blank? Instead of just looking at them and going, God, they need help. Lord, what can I do and what do you want me to do to help them? Come on, you all know what I'm talking about here? This is really important and we've gotten into a mode of, of being quicker to to judge why somebody is in their condition versus just saying, let me help you out of your condition. And you know what? You might help them and they might go right back into it. And I'm not saying it's always wisdom to keep feeding into somebody that doesn't want to change. There's wisdom to be had there. But shouldn't we be moved with compassion before we're moved with judgment or observation? I would rather err on the side of compassion than err on the side of that's a hard man right there and he was never willing to help anybody. And I'm all about trying to help people up. I want to encourage people. I want to teach people. I want to train people. I want people to have understanding, to to not go back into the issue that they had. But on some level, you just have to have compassion for people. And we see this here in the life of Jesus. But let's look at the next two verses here. It says in verse 37, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore... Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know, what's interesting here is most of the time this verse, and I've used it in this, in this light, and I don't think it's wrong, but I don't think it's the best way, in that we'll say, you know, hey, there's lots of people that need to be saved. Let's go, let's go win the loss. And you could apply that here, but in context, Jesus is talking about that he saw the multitudes and had compassion because they were weary and scattered like a sheep who had no shepherd. You know what Jesus is saying here is that people need to be led. People need to be shepherded. They need to be loved on. Do you know why God has given the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher the fivefold ministry in the church? It's because on the inside of you, whether you know it or not, you have a shepherding aspect on the inside of you. You know why? Because the great shepherd lives in you. And what you're supposed to learn from a shepherd in the natural and, and from Jesus, you're supposed to take that and put it into other people's lives. You know what Jesus was saying here and why, why he had compassion on this multitude was because he saw that they didn't have anyone to lead them and he could not personally lead every one of those people. I think sometimes the church is just sitting around waiting for Jesus to just do something. You know what Jesus did? He died, he rose again, he ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost He lives on the inside of us, and he said, you go and do it. You go and reach people. You go and touch people. You go and shepherd people, because the Lord is not going to do it. I know we sometimes we say these things, and we we sing these songs like, God, do a great work, do a great miracle. I'm fine with that. It's no problem. But it's never really going to change unless we take the mantle that's been given to us and go and reach people. And there should be something that when we see somebody who's lost, like having no shepherd and no way, would it be too difficult for us to take them under wing and say, you know what, let me go, let me buy you lunch. Let me love on you a little bit. Let me put gas in your gas tank. Let me have you over to our house or whatever it is that the Lord's doing. People just, they need shepherding. You know, this is a condition in the human race. Philip the evangelist was, was found in Samaria and he found a eunuch reading there. I don't know exactly what a eunuch is, but some type of person anyways. And he found a eunuch reading there the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And Philip said, do you know what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody teach me? You know, the people won't know truth. They won't know love. They won't know anything unless they have somebody lead them and shepherd them. And Jesus was saying, I'm having, I have such compassion for the multitude 
because they don't have anyone to lead them and shepherd them and teach them how to have a relationship with Jesus, teach them how to have a relationship with the Father. Amen. Let's look at the next one here in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Remember how I said earlier that compassion releases the supernatural. I'm going to show you several verses here where it talks about compassion releasing the supernatural. Are you all with me? I'm going to go really fast, as fast as I possibly can. In Matthew chapter 14, and to give you a quick backstory, this is when John the Baptist was beheaded. Y'all remember who John the Baptist was? He was Jesus' first cousin. In Matthew 14 and verse 10, it says, So he went and had John beheaded in prison. That's talking about Herod. And so then in verse 11, it says, And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. So this was a horrible thing that happened to John the Baptist. And of course, this was Jesus's, like I said, first cousin. And John the Baptist, in my opinion, next to Jesus, was the greatest prophet that ever lived on the face of the earth. He was an amazing man. You know what? I think one of the reasons why John the Baptist was so amazing is because John the Baptist went and he preached a message in a time, well, pretty much all prophets did that, that was not popular with with a lot of the people, specifically the religious people. But then John the Baptist did this. He said, there's coming one who is greater than I, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to loose. And do you know when that one, Jesus, came on the scene, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that was slain before the, or behold, the Lamb of God that takes away sin. He recognized Jesus and he pulled himself back and humbled himself. That's why I believe John the Baptist is one of the greatest, but that's a side nugget. Verse 12, it says, then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And went and told Jesus, imagine this, your first cousin, who was a forerunner for your ministry, a powerful, mighty man of God, one who is your blood, your kin. Imagine having the news that that person had literally been beheaded. Imagine receiving that news. That wouldn't be very good news. It says, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. They didn't give a rip. This is what I found in ministry. It doesn't matter what you're going through. People, oftentimes they don't know, and, but a lot of times they just don't care or don't know how to care what you're going through. Good nugget for anyone that's aspiring to go into ministry. A lot of times people will pull on you and they don't have a clue. It was more than that they didn't care. They didn't have a clue what Jesus was really going through, I believe. It says, but when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. So when Jesus was at the point when he needed people to have compassion on him, Jesus was moved with compassion. You know what is at the very heart of, of every believer or should be at the very heart of every believer? is that regardless of what you're going through, you're willing to pour out of what, from what God has given you to pour out onto other people. No matter what you're going through. Amen. And I believe that Jesus was, he was God, but he was also a natural man. He loved his cousin. He loved John the Baptist. I really believe that. You know what's interesting here? I want to point out a little nugget here. At the very end of that, it says, and he healed their sick. It didn't say that he healed the sick. He healed their sick. Who's sick? The multitude sick. This is a word for some of you. If you are dealing with a loved one that you are having to care for them in their sick state, 
The Lord has tremendous compassion on the situation that you're in. One of the hardest things for people to have to deal with is a loved one who's bedridden or in a hospital or whatever. And I believe Jesus' ultimate, God's ultimate desire is for them to be upright, walking, and well. That's, that really is what he wants. Nevertheless, if you're in that particular situation, he has tremendous compassion on you. It, said, it didn't say that he healed the sick. He healed their sick. Certainly, he did heal the sick people that were sick, but he healed their sick. I just think that that speaks tremendous volumes about what the Lord thinks about people that are having to care for others. Let's look here in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 32. I told you this is just a really simple, straightforward message. We know this very well. Matthew 15 and 32. It says, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. You know what most of us <laughs> would do today? Is if people were hungry, we would say, well, you know, they should have packed a lunch. They really should have planned on this better. You know, you should have brought some money with you to stop and get it at the vending machine or, you know, whatever, whatever the deal is. Amen. That'd be a lot of our, our response. But Jesus, he didn't go into all the shoulda, coulda, woulda. He just said, look, they're hungry. Let's find a way to feed them. Isn't there just some level in us that needs to say, look, they have a need and we need to meet that need? After all, we serve the God who owns a, a cattle on a thousand hills. We serve the most rich. You can't, even, you can't even say the most rich. That doesn't even describe how rich God is. He's got everything. He's got all the needs. And if he's given us the ability to reach people, shouldn't we just be willing to reach people? As a matter of fact, I believe in Jesus' name. For every, every ear that's hearing this message here and on the podcast, not only will they be filled with compassion, they'll operate in compassion, but they will have the funds to see the compassion move financially if they need to, to move in ways that God's called them to move. Amen. Let me show you this in Matthew chapter 20. Let me show you some more here. Matthew chapter 20. And in verse 29, and this is about how Jesus uh, healed two blind men. Matthew 20 and 29, it says, Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still. And called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, I think that this is extremely interesting that he asked them what they wanted. Have you ever seen a blind person before? Usually you can tell. I mean, nowadays, most blind people will wear big glasses or whatever to hide their eyes. Back then, they didn't have that unless they had something over their eyes, which would have made it all that much more obvious. But they can't control their eyes, all that kind of stuff. Certainly, Jesus knew that these men were blind. If not by natural, certainly by the supernatural, it could have been and probably was revealed to him. But he said, what is it that you want? It's extremely important that when you're ministering to somebody to find out what it is that they want. If you try to give them something that they're not ready to receive, it usually does not work right. From my experience, they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. It doesn't say that he just touched their eyes. It says that he had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Praise God. Let's look over here in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Let me show you a couple more. Are you tracking with me? Mark chapter 1. And let's look here in verse 40. 
It says, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, I propose that a lot of people in the church are like this leper and they wouldn't question God's ability, but they wouldn't question his willingness. He said, Lord, if you are willing, he actually didn't question his ability. He said, are you willing to do it? Lord, if you're willing, will you please make me clean? Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So here you see again that Jesus was moved with compassion. And you know that, and the leprosy was cleansed. And you know that leprosy in the Old Testament was a picture of sin. And I believe that Jesus healing this leper was not only for his sake, but also was a picture for us to see that Jesus is always interested in cleansing people of their sin. He's always interested in loving people, even in the midst of their wrongdoing and their nastiness and their grossness and whatever that got going on in their life. Saved or unsaved, God is always after people to be washed and to be cleansed from all of the stuff that they've had going on in their life. That's not correct. We serve a merciful God. And if he's merciful before we get saved, how much more merciful is he after we get saved, after we become his kids? Amen. Let me show you a couple more here. Mark Chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, two more here, Mark chapter 5. And I want to, I want to go to verse 18, and then we're going to come back to verse 1. But look here in Mark 5, 18. It says, when he got into the boat, he was, he who had been demon-possessed. Now, this is talking about the, um, the known as the gathering demoniac, as some people have phrased it. But this was a man that was filled with a legion of demons, which I've heard anywhere from 1,000 to 6,000 demons he had inside of him. And it says in verse 18, and when he got into a boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him, so this was after Jesus delivered him, that he, uh, he might uh, be with him. In verse 19, it says, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. You want to know how Jesus had compassion on him? Go back to verse one. Let me show you this. Mark five and one. It says, then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. Huh. It says, and when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. I want you to notice that it didn't say an unclean spirit. It said a man with an unclean spirit. <laughs> Any person that is demonized on whatever level, possession, oppression, depression, however you want to label it, they might be the most messed up person on the face of the earth. And this guy probably was was there if, he, if indeed he had 6,000 demons in him. Because remember, if you read the story, and they said, they said, we are legion. And a legion in the Roman army was 6,000 men. So it's possible this man had 6,000 demons on the inside of him. And they bound him with chains. And it, he would break the chains. And he hid in the caves. And he would... He would he would scream and he would wail day and night. And everybody knew about this demon-possessed man. 
When Jesus saw him, he didn't just see a demon. He didn't just see possession there. He didn't just see evil. He saw a man that was being tortured by unclean spirits. Let me tell you something. When you see somebody on drugs, when you see somebody acting all crazy and wacko, when you see somebody acting out of their mind, when you see schizophrenia, when you see manic depressant, when you see all kinds of things that are like that, and we're quick to say, oh, I can't believe. Listen, that is a person that is being tortured by an evil spirit most of the time. Sometimes it's something physical, but most of the time they're being tortured by demonic spirits. And when Jesus saw this, it says that he saw a man with an unclean spirit. God, help us to see the person and not just the problem. And see, for a lot of Americans, they think, oh, well, you know, the the demons are all over in Africa. I pastor a church. Trust me, I know that there are demons in the United States of America. (laughs) John Osteen, one of the greatest men of God ever. Uh, He said... If you're going to start a church, he said, run off every demon. And by demon, I don't mean demon. All right, that went nowhere. (laughs) If you want to encounter demons in the United States of America, start doing work in the United States of America, in the county, in the country, in the city, whatever it is that you live in, not just the Anywhere you're here, you're going you're gonna to encounter demons. They just manifest differently. <laughs> if you go over to Iran, let's use that. That's a hot topic right now. If you go over to Iran and you start preaching the gospel, you know how they're going to manifest? They're going to chop off your head. Here, they can't legally do that. But they will persecute you through people that are totally given over to the demonic influences even a lot of born-again Christians. Um, A lot of people don't know this, and this is deeper than I really should have gone right now, but I'm just going to go here anyways. And if you don't believe this, then you don't have to believe it, and you can have mercy on me since my doctrine's so far off. But it's not off. Demons don't possess your spirit. They possess your soul. And your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. And when people are given over to their flesh, it opens up the door to demonic activity in their life. I'm not saying that everything you do that is fleshy will will open up the door to demons. See, I'm going deeper here than I really should have gone, but I'm already here, so I just got to explain it now. If that were the case, then... I had a little sliver of donut this morning and I'd open myself up to demons. Well, if you know, if you eat boxes of donuts every week, you're going to open yourself up to a gluttonous spirit. Amen. So, you know, but it's, you can't just do something and then all of a sudden you're, you've got demons, you know, knocking on your door. But if you just, if you live driven by your flesh, by your emotions and your will is not in line with the will of God, you'll find yourself having a lot more problems. And what you'll find is that when God's doing a work in a community, And people that want to be involved start to get fleshy, the enemy will work right through that flesh. And that, folks, is the kind of message you preach if you want people to leave. (laughs) 
I don't want anybody to leave. But it's the truth. And people, people have, been, have been blinded to it, and they don't understand that there is demonic activity that happens here in the United States. It happened in Jesus' day, too. He went into the synagogue. And see, demons hate the power of God. They hate the anointing of God in the name of Jesus because they can't, they can't outdo it. And so they'll scream out and they'll screech out. And a lot of times it comes in the form of, Pastor, how dare you say that? And people just go, oh, you know, I, I think he's got a point. No, demons don't have any point. I'm not saying the person is that, but I'm saying that they could be being influenced by that. Y'all tracking with me? I wouldn't want to be one of the people that's used to try and stop what God's doing. But I have a lot of compassion on people that are in that place. I didn't used to. I used to be really hard on people like that. Now, I'll deal with people. If I have people that are going to rise up and come against me and what God's told me to do, like one preacher I heard say, I'll jump on them like a chicken on a June bug. I don't let, I don't let goofy stuff go on. And not all stuff that goes on that's goofy is demonic. Some of it's just people being goofy. Amen. But we need to realize that we could, be, we could be being used by the enemy to stop what God's wanting to do just because we're being fleshy about stuff. Whew. I'm trying to get out of this hole because I didn't want to go here. There's just certain things you don't talk about on a Sunday morning, and I went there. Can you all handle, can you handle me? Can you handle this kind of stuff? It's really important. Amen. Oh, yeah, so Jesus, what I was going to say is that Jesus, he was in the synagogue, and a man cried out, Son of David, have, get out of here. I have nothing to do with this, something like that. He recognized who he was and said, get out. You know what Jesus said? Shut up and sit down. Demons aren't just working through witch doctors. They're working through anybody that will stop the power of God, the anointing of God, the work of God from going forth. Everything that we are, we are doing here, the enemy wants to stop the work of God in this church with this people. And so we just have to be vigilant, be submitted to the Lord, and be submitted to one another in love, and the enemy will have no place. If we are vigilant, we're submitted to the Lord and submitted to one another in love, the enemy will have no place. Amen. Hallelujah. I just have to trust that I just heard from the Lord and I went down a path that needed to be said. Let's look here in Luke chapter 7. I want to show you this very, very quickly. Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 and verse 11. Can you all handle five more minutes? It says, Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, the dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. I want to stop and look at this for a second. It says that he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Let me ask you, if you were at the funeral 
of somebody who died and their mother was there weeping and someone walked up and said to her, don't cry. Don't weep. You know what people would say? They'd come to that person and they'd say, you shut up, you're out of line, you're out of place. How dare you say that? She just lost her son. Now there is a place for weeping because when, G- when uh, Lazarus died, it says that Jesus wept. So there is a place for weeping, but I think that it's significant here to note that Jesus didn't come down to her level of grief, but brought her up to his level of faith and compassion on her, which then manifests the resurrection life in her, her son that brought him back from the dead. I don't know about you, but I believe every story in the Bible is 100% fact, true, it actually happened. I believe, it says it right here, I believe that when that woman was weeping over her dead, which any woman, dead son, any woman would weep over their dead son. Any normal person would do that. It wasn't evil. She was just being normal. That's just normal. Anybody would do that. But why did Jesus come up to her and say, don't weep? Because he saw that there was something greater that was going to happen. Compassion flowed from him. And if you go on and read the rest of the story, her son was raised from the dead. And here's the lesson we can learn from that. When we see somebody in the, in the midst of a situation, it's our job as people that would minister to that person, that situation, to not come down to their level. Not that we're above them. Don't misunderstand me. But we don't come down and operate in their grief and in their dysfunction and in their heartache. But we stay at a place to where we can minister rightly to that situation instead of being overtaken by the situation. Amen. Good wisdom. One last verse, and we're going to quit here. Go back to Mark chapter 9. And when I read this, this blew me away. Mark chapter 9. And this is the story. It's also found in Matthew chapter 17, where this was the lunatic boy. And it's talked about how he would fall. And that's just what the Bible calls him, a lunatic boy. And then he would fall into the fire and into the water. He was seizing. All of these things were happening. And then in verse 22, he says, and, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And then this is the man speaking to Jesus. Look what it says here. It says, but if you can do anything, he didn't say, will you heal him? Will you cast the demon out of him? Will you stop him from, from flopping back and forth on the floor? He said, have compassion on him. I propose to you that the reason he said had compassion on him is because he had been watching the disciples and Jesus minister to people for a period of time and recognized that compassion was the thing that was flowing that caused all of the things that needed to change. That it caused them to be able to change. It caused them to change. Because up to this point, they had seen a paralytic healed. They'd seen deaf healed. They'd seen blind healed. They'd seen the dead raised. They saw Jesus walk on the water. They saw the the miracle of 4,000 people fed, the miracle of 5,000 people fed. And all of those things Jesus did when he was doing it, it was because compassion was flowing out of him. And when this boy saw Jesus, he didn't say, please heal me or please heal him or please touch him. He said, if you can do anything, if, if there's anything you can do. And it's almost like he was saying, if there's just one thing you can do, will you please have compassion on my boy? My God, that is so powerful. What are we missing in our life in terms of the power of God reaching and touching people wherever they are at in terms of compassion? In terms of that that inward flow coming from us to give them whatever it is that they need in their time, whatever it is that they need to fix their problem. 
My God, this is, what I, this is what I want for my life. This is what I'm asking for, for 2020 and the rest of my life. That before I'm moved in judgment, before I'm moved and let me teach them something, before I'm moved and let me fix your problem, I'm just moved with compassion. I'm moved with God, help me to help them. Give me whatever it is that I need for them. Give me whatever word I need. Give me the, whatever touch I need to give. God, I want to give it to them. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociparibuilt.com.